Welcome to Why Everybody Hates You, an audio support group for reputation professionals. If you have any responsibility for how people talk, think and feel about your organisation, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, reputation coach Daisy Powell-Chandler. Carbon markets? Carbon offsets? Does this all sound like dubious gibberish to you? As reputation professionals, we need to understand this stuff in order to protect our organisations and advise on comms. So I asked Tim Coombs to give me a crash course in carbon markets and why they matter. Full disclosure, Tim works for a big international publicly listed energy company, but he is here in a personal capacity and I couldn't be happier to offer you this whistle-stop tour of all things carbon markets. Hi, Tim. Thank you so much for joining me. It is a pleasure to have you on the show. Why do carbon markets matter? Hi, Daisy. Thanks for having me on the show. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Um, look, carbon markets matter because climate change matters. I think to talk about carbon markets, we need to talk about the difference between the different types of carbon markets. Um, carbon markets are made up um, of the compliance markets where a, a government or a jurisdiction or regulatory body has set out rules uh, that you need to comply with in order to, to meet your obligations under the law. Um, and of course, on the other side of that, we've got the voluntary carbon markets, which is a market that people can participate in voluntarily um, as a way of addressing their organisation's climate commitments. So is that the difference between the ETS and me paying an offset charge on my airplane? Essentially, yeah. I, I think that's a, a good way of looking at it. So one of the biggest emissions trading schemes is the, the European Union emission trading scheme. Um, and there are rules for certain companies that fall within that jurisdiction uh, to comply with, with that obligation. Um, but the voluntary carbon market is, is open to anybody, not just airline uh, passengers, um, but that's, that's one that people can identify with. Aviation is obviously a very difficult to abate sector. Um, and so when you book your airline ticket and you tick that little box, I would like to offset the flight, some of the, the money from that purchase will flow into a project um, that works to avoid or reduce an emission that takes place elsewhere. Now, I feel like we need to tackle the elephant in the room, which is if you talk to focus groups about carbon markets, they are really dubious. They assume you mean tree planting for a start. They wonder if those trees survive and they're not sure whether it's actually doing any good at all. Yeah, look, so there are a lot of different projects and a lot of different methodologies, projects that fall within those methodologies around the world that can uh, generate carbon credits. So that can be, for example, protecting 
rainforests uh, around the world. It can be about tree planting um, and putting trees where there were no trees before or trees where there were trees before, but that land over time has become degraded. It can be uh, all sorts of things right through to direct air capture, setting up some very expensive machinery to suck carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. There are a range of different products and methodologies which avoid emissions elsewhere or capture emissions that are already in the atmosphere. I think tree planting is one that people can resonate with. They can visualize, they can understand that a tree through photosynthesis captures carbon dioxide and then it puts, stores it in its trunks, roots and leaves um, where, the, where the carbon is, is stored. Now, what happens if that tree dies? Um, that carbon is re-released into the atmosphere. That wood, that leaves, breaks down over time. Carbon is released from the soil and it re-enters in the atmosphere. And so people dubious of, of some of these projects can say, well, look, if, if a tree is planted, but then the tree dies, then you know my money's gone nowhere. It's achieved nothing. There's, there's still the same amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Um, these projects that generate carbon credits um, have to adhere to certain methodologies. So certain rules around what they recognize as an emission reduction um, or a captured emission. And there are various rules around that as dictated by various registries and governing bodies about how that carbon is then recognized, accounted for, what measurement is in place, what management is in place, and how they look at the various counterfactuals. It's been a, a rough year for carbon markets, though, hasn't it? The, the public aren't the only people thinking there's something a bit funny going on. What's happened? What do the non-specialists need to know? Sure. Uh, so it has been a bit of a tough 12 months for the carbon markets. I think we've seen a few things that have happened uh, over the past few months, in particularly around what makes a carbon credit. Now, the definition of a carbon credit is the avoidance or removal of the equivalent of one metric tonne of carbon dioxide, um, which is avoided or removed from the atmosphere um, and captured and, and safely stored. Um, now, within for, for a carbon credit to be recognized, it needs to be verified by under a, a methodology which is overseen uh, by a governing body or a, a carbon registry, um, and it needs to adhere to those rules. Now, what's happened is, is there's been some academic papers that have been published that have indicated that for some of these projects, um, perhaps one tonne of carbon has not been sequestered or avoided per carbon credit. Some of the factors might have been a bit lower than that. And how much lower are we talking? It ranges from from project to project, from methodology to methodology. But are we talking like it's a hundredth or is it like you're only getting 90% of your carbon? Credit? Look, a carbon credit by its definition should be one tonne of carbon. You know, there are some, some factors that have had it as low as 10 to 20% of an actual okay. emission. Um, now, those academic papers have been challenged and there's been a, a real disagreement around some of the things that have happened within this market, particularly around Red Plus and cook stoves. Now, now Red Plus is a methodology that looks to avoid deforestation and to recognise the carbon credit under a, a Red Plus type credit. 
you're essentially needing to budget for a counterfactual. You're needing to show that the activity is taken by your protection of a piece of land, a bit of ecosystem has led to less destruction taking place, less logging taking place, less environmental degradation taking place. That sounds hard to prove. It's hard to prove. But there is some impressive science, some impressive modelling that goes into this. And so I think with some of those papers also came some media articles which really looked to undermine the, the value of the carbon markets in general. There were also some lawsuits that took place last year where companies were challenged on their marketing claims, what they were saying about their environmental activities um, and what they were underpinning them with. So what this has done is this has eroded a little bit of sentiment, particularly around some types of credit that are widely traded within the carbon markets. Is it recoverable, though, or has this fatally undermined the carbon market? Look, I think it is recoverable. I think last year we, we haven't seen the rate of acceleration that we've previously seen in the voluntary carbon market. We haven't seen the same volumes of, of credit sold and retired or, or it's plateaued a little bit. We've seen the price for some of these credits um, drop quite significantly. But I think what we've seen as a result of this is the industry really starting to coalesce around quality and what that means. We've seen as a result of this, the, the standards bodies reviewing some of their methodology, withdrawing some other methodologies to say, you know, we acknowledge that perhaps there were some loopholes within this that we need to tighten. Um, we've also seen standards bodies and what we're calling meta standards, which, which sit above some of these. Ooh. So it's, it's a governing body that seeks to improve the integrity of the carbon markets, such as the uh, Integrity Council for the Voluntary Carbon Market, the ICVCM, and the VCMI, which is the, the Voluntary Carbon Market Initiative. Um, and these bodies look to oversee the carbon market in, in more general terms and offer some markers of what makes quality and what they wouldn't accept as a, as a quality credit. And I think this is really going to start to build out what that quality means. So if you are working in a corporate right now and trying to work out whether you are exposed from a reputation point of view by the actions that your company has taken in the carbon markets to offset some of um, their unabated carbon. How should you be assessing the reputation risks that you face right now? I think the first thing companies really need to make sure they're doing is they're abiding by a mitigation hierarchy. We always talk about first avoid all emissions where possible, then reduce the emissions that you can't yet avoid, and only then you should seek to offset or compensate for those emissions um, with things like carbon credits. And I think it's super important to focus on that decarbonisation needs to happen fundamentally at an organisation level across the globe. Carbon credits cannot and will not be the silver bullet here. They're an additional factor that needs to, to come into this. We know that not all businesses 
can decarbonization right now. The technology is, is not there in some instances. The scalability is not there in other instances. I mean, we talked about aviation before. Currently, there is, there is no commercial airplane that's regularly flying large quantities of passengers long distances that doesn't rely entirely on, on a, a molecular fuel. And generally, they're, they're powered by fossil fuels. Now, in a world that we want to carry on flying, we need to look at how we can first reduce that. We can reduce how much we're flying, but we can also look at reducing how much fuel those aircraft use by improving the, the aerodynamics of the aircraft. We can also look at reducing the carbon footprint of the fuel that goes in. There are things like biofuels that are starting to, to be manufactured from waste products that have a much lower carbon footprint than a fossil fuel, but they're not yet available at scale. And so the aviation industry is, is largely, for its decarbonization pathway, going to need to rely on carbon credits and the carbon mitigation activities taking place outside of their value chain. So it sounds like if I'm a reputation professional working in a company that uses the carbon markets to buy carbon credits, the first question I should be asking is how can I reduce the number of carbon credits I need to buy each year? That is first and foremost. And then I think you need to look at what are the claims that you're looking to make? What are you looking to say about your decarbonization pathway? I think you've got to do things like check the regulations within the markets that you operate. So for example, the European Union um, has just published a bill called the EU Green Claims Directive, which looks at terms like carbon neutral, climate positive, sustainable, and, and offers a lot of regulation or restriction as to how those terms are used. I think you need to rely on third-party verification for your, your data and your claims. I think due diligence always has to come back to companies who are looking to buy carbon credits. And if we're seeing a lot of corporates actually employing in-house experts to assess the quality of those carbon credits, for example. And I think where, where companies aren't able to bring in those in-house expertise, there are companies out there that will support that due diligence process. I think companies need to be really clear about the role of carbon credits within their holistic decarbonisation plan. So don't just go out and buy a bunch of carbon credits. Can't do it. It needs to be part of a broader strategy. I think it's really important that you talk about that as well. I think you can't just talk about we've bought a bunch of carbon credits. I think you've got to talk about what other activities your organisation is undertaking in order to reduce their overall carbon footprint. What are they doing with their vehicles? What are they doing with the electricity that they buy? What are they doing, the emissions that are happening within their value chain? And then lastly, I think it's, it's about being transparent and clear. So it's about understanding really simply what you're looking to do and being as open and as honest um, with your customers, with your publics about what is happening with your decarbonisation plans and what role carbon compensation, carbon offsetting, carbon credits play within that. Now, as we've discussed, it's been a bit of a rough year for carbon markets. Hopefully they will get back on track as this sort of international approach to coalescing around particular standards proceeds. 
But what lessons can other green industries learn from that slightly painful process that carbon markets have been going through? Yeah, look, I think it's it's important. I mean, carbon markets grew very fast, um, partly out of necessity, right? We, we're faced with arguably the largest challenge that the world has ever collectively encountered and will encounter together. And carbon credits and carbon markets are a lever. They are one of the things that we can do to address that. So I think acknowledging that whatever green industry, you are part of the solution. You are one part of the solution. You are not the solution. So growing fast is great, but got to maintain your focus on integrity because it's very easy for things to erode or things to become unraveled, have unhelpful conversations or unhelpful stalling of progress, important progress due to, to conversations around integrity. Governance is important. Um, having the right vocabulary, uh, right definitions of what you're, you're trying to do, having agreement around that, having agreement as to, to what various terms can and should mean and how they will be implemented. Collaboration is important. Bringing the right people to the table at the right times and ensuring that everybody's facing the, the right directions. And I think incentives matter. I'd say it's super important to keep an eye on what kind of behaviours and what kind of outcomes are being incentivized. It's super important to, to maintain a lens on that as well. Mm. Are there particular examples you can give us of that incentives point? So I think when the carbon markets were growing particularly quickly um, and perhaps there wasn't necessarily in earlier days, you know, we, I often talk about you know, we're on to, to carbon markets 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, because the carbon market has continued to, to reinvent and evolve um, over time, like most good products do. I mean, you think about, I think about my first computer working on MS-DOS, and gosh, I'm so glad that I'm still not working on DOS. I'm glad DOS wasn't, we've worked it out, <laughs> we've got it right. Yeah, let's stop there. DOS, that is the pinnacle. Yeah, we're, we're done. You know, evolution is, is important. It's super important. And so the methodologies have continued to evolve um, and will continue to evolve. There are some that are being withdrawn. There are some that will issue no new credits. Um, there are some projects that are looking to be moved on to a, another methodology. The project is is a good quality project, but the methodology might have had some some issues with it that we've since unpicked. And I mean, these methodologies, they, they didn't just result from somebody putting their finger in the air. There's a lot of science that, that went into this, but you know, some of these methodologies are hundreds of pages long with, with formulas that I don't understand. Mm. And where the carbon markets were growing so rapidly, it was easy for a project to go, well, do you know what, if we, if we sell more credits, then we've got more money that we can reinvest into this project, so that we can work with these local communities, that we can invest in protecting this, this biodiversity. And I think that was an example of, of where that was what was being incentivized. I, I, I've seen very little evidence that there were sort of cowboys running about going, how can we make the most amount of money from, from carbon credits? So, you know, most, if not everybody I've encountered within this market 
has a genuine passionate belief that they want to to make the world a better place they want to protect these ecosystems that are, are valuable and disappearing but looking at how the methodology gaps where we didn't have knowledge before i mean we're doing better monitoring for example um, using satellite data to actively in real time monitor illegal logging you know we've got uh, covariance flux towers which is using science to actively measure the amount of carbon dioxide being taken in and out of various ecosystems we've got ways of of managing and measuring that's no longer wholly reliant on on surveys and counterfactuals that sort of build upon that and i think you know carbon markets 4.0 5.0 12.0 is is going to be quite a fantastic scary and wonderful place it sounds it sounds genuinely exciting but i can understand that as the science develops that does mean that some methodologies will become outdated and it's it's right in fact it should give us all confidence in the future that we are retiring some of those as we go. But uh, that is a level of complexity that is hard for people to understand. And a lot of the companies buying from the carbon markets are not going to be experienced in doing a lot of this. So, so I guess we're all learning as we go. So you've talked a little bit about some of the new science and the new monitoring that is coming down the line. What other big developments should we expecting over the next year or so? Yeah, I look, I think there's a lot of really important things coming down the line. We're, we're seeing improved methodologies from the registries. We're seeing withdrawals of, of some of those methodologies. We're seeing introduction of new methodologies, um, which are really seeking to, to close some of those gaps. We're seeing projects invest their money in better monitoring and better reporting and better verification of uh, the claims made by the project um, to really prove that their, uh, their carbon sequestration and their carbon avoidance is, is real. We're seeing movements from governments um, such as the EU claims directives and offering consumers better protection from greenwashing and foul claims that don't quite stack up. We're seeing the evolution of, of the meta standards, which I've, I've touched on earlier, and they're offering more confidence uh, around the certainty of effectiveness and offering various kite marks as well, which will start to, to denote um, an agreed definition of what quality is. We're seeing corporates review their strategies and their reporting against their progress on those strategies. And I think that level of transparency is also really important. And I think from a governmental perspective, we're going to see some really interesting stuff happen. Obviously, at COP, we all love a good COP. Article 6 and the rules of Article 6, particularly around 6.4 and 6.2, which really looks at the rules around transferring internationally transferred mitigation outcomes. ITMO. What is one of those when it's at What home? is an ITMO? That's a great question. So governments, as part of the COP process, have, have submitted their nationally declared contribution, what they think that they, they can do, what, what reduction in carbon the country as a whole will make. Now, there are potentially opening up trade between certain countries around these mitigation outcomes. So what we might see with a, 
a healthy negotiation of, of an Article 6 and, and some good structure within that. Is countries being able to sell carbon credits from one country to another? Um, and one country that is selling the carbon credit, re accounting for it under their nationally determined contributions and reciprocating uh, on the other end of that transaction. Right. Take, for an example, a country like Singapore. Singapore has a really small geographic footprint. It's quite a, an energy intense country. They've got quite a high standard of living. Um, a lot of high-rise buildings. They don't have large areas of rainforest that they could reforest or, or protect. So, for example, they could uh, do a deal where a country like Brazil or Gabon or Vietnam might agree to undertake an activity that sequesters additional carbon within the borders of a, of a foreign country. And that foreign country would recognize on its national declared contributions that they have sold a certain number of tons of carbon dioxide equivalent to Singapore. Singapore would also recognize that on their nationally declared contributions, essentially uh, zeroing out the total, total sum. Makes perfect sense. Carbon markets at the national level. That's what we like to see. Thank you so much, Tim. This has been really eye-opening and I hope it has been really helpful for our listeners. Thank you, Daisy. It's, um, you know, I'm, I'm a massive fan of the podcast. I'm a massive fan of the work you do. So thanks so much for, for having me on the show. That's everything from us. A big thank you to my guest, Tim Coombs, for talking to me about everything from tree planting to certification schemes. Listeners, how is your organisation interacting with carbon markets? Did the coverage last year make you wary? How are you reflecting that in your communications? I would love to hear about your experiences, so please get in touch on Twitter or LinkedIn. And if you've enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll tell your colleagues and perhaps write us a review on your usual podcasting app. It really does help new listeners to find the show. Thank you, as always, for listening to Why Everybody Hates You. And remember, you are not alone. <laughs>